Welcome to the Christine Spray Show, bringing you insights and stories from successful CEOs to help grow your business and increase your revenue. The Christine Spray Show is brought to you by your podcast team, where having your own podcast is as easy as being a guest on ours. Find out more at yourpodcast.team. Now, here's your host, Christine Spray. Hi, I am Christine Spray, and welcome to another episode of the Christine Spray Show. For this episode, our guest host is David Spray, who is talking to Art Saxby, the founder and CEO of Chief Outsiders, which is a nationwide executives as a search firm with more than 100 fractional chief marketing officers. In just 13 years, Art has grown the firm to over 100 CMOs who have served more than 1,400 businesses. We discussed the challenges and the hidden opportunities they contained. Art has a vision with clear path to grow the company to more than 400 CMOs over the next five years. We also learned about the advice he would give his 25-year-old self. If you are a CEO of a $10 million to $300 million company and have ambitions that seem to be greater than your team's interests, capabilities, or desires, this is a great episode for you. Or if you have desires to grow a professional service business at 30% annually or more, you will find Art's story to be inspiring. Now let's get to the episode. Hi, Art. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Well, it is my pleasure. I've looked forward uh, uh, to this. I've, I've known you for, for uh, uh, a fair amount of time. But, you know, I haven't really spent a lot of time kind of really understanding your story. And so what I'd like you to do, uh, I really want to focus on Chief Outsiders, uh, your, your current venture that you founded 13 years ago or so. But to just give people kind of a context, uh, sort of of your background, could you just kind of uh, roll through uh, kind of some of your uh roles and companies you've been a part of, uh, you know, for the first part of your career? Yeah, I've got a, a bachelor's and MBA in finance. So I was always a numbers guy. And mm-hmm. at one point I was on the, uh, the finance team at Frito-Lay uh, evaluating new products. And, and there I realized finance was great. You're an advisor to the king. But those marketing folks, those are the people that said, oh, I see a market opportunity. Let's see if we can get product development involved. Let's look at you know, the financials. Let's, let's get this thing going and launch it. Mm. So I moved from finance into marketing at Frito-Lay, was on the SunChips test market, um, and then moved to, to Kellogg's in Battle Creek, Michigan, uh, Coca-Cola, the, the juice division in Houston, Compact Computers, where I thought tech was the place to be. Then got involved in turning around uh, bankrupt companies, went into Imperial Sugar as it came out of bankruptcy, and then out to the, the West Coast, uh, Heinz Horticulture, another you know, financially troubled company uh, looking at bankruptcy. And after wow. that, started Chief Outsiders. Wow, that thank you for that that quick overview. I mean, those are some kind of name brand uh, companies, right? Frito Lay, Kellogg's, Coca Cola, Minute Maid, Compact Computers. You know, you know now part of HP and uh, Imperial Sugar. I mean, that uh, I think you've you've picked up uh, the better part of several aisles in the uh, the grocery store. I think. Well, I often say that I've I've marketed the only three things worth living for. If if you can't get the American population to eat more salt, sugar, and fat, you're you're probably not a very good marketer. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Well, let's let's turn to to Chief Outsiders. Um, So I believe you founded that in 2009 right here in Houston. Is that right? Yes. uh, I actually say it was the best time in American history to start a business. Middle of the recession. (laughs) And, and that wasn't because there were a lot of people willing to spend money, but there were a lot of people listen, willing to listen to new ideas. Okay. No, no CEO I spoke to ever said, oh, no, no, I, I don't need to listen to new ideas. Everything's working great. So it was a, it was nothing a was working time, but it was, it was a good time to get out there and, and look for something new. Okay. And how do you, how do you, uh, what's kind of your elevator statement? How do you describe the value proposition for chief outsiders? Well, what we do is we help companies um, kind of overcome the big growth hurdles, the big, big challenges. Many companies get to the point where they've done, done very well. They've got a great business. They need to take a 
you know, to say it to the next level, but they need that next um, level of growth that their internal team doing the same thing they've always done, you know, can't get them there. Most of these companies don't need an executive level vice president of marketing. They don't need that skill set forever. They'd have trouble attracting that person. Um, so we've got a little over 100 chief marketing officers full-time on staff, and they go in as a part-time member of the CEO's staff, working mm -hmm. as part of the inside of the organization to take that CEO's vision, help build a market-based perspective, help build an engine for growth, get it going, and then, then hand it off. Because it's that, that how do you get into the next market segment? How do you go from you know, telling people to go out and sell to lead generation, demand generation? How do you, you know, launch this next level of, of business that's the things that those that most entrepreneurs struggle with. They they get so far and then things slow down. The market changes, competitors come in. Mm -hmm. That's when we come in and really help and 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 move the company forward. Okay. And what what size companies are are kind of your sweet spot, you know, where you find that you really can add the most value? You know, we, we say our bullseye is kind of 10 million to 300 million. Okay. This month we're on the management team of a little over 200 companies. So there are some outside the tail. There are some Silicon Valley startup stuff. We're, we're only really good for early stage startup if they're pretty well funded. And we've got some multi-billion dollar clients, but most are in that, you know, most are in the, the 20 to hundred million range where they've got a great business and the CEO really has a vision. But, you know, if they've spent 20 years getting to, to $20 million, now they really want to figure out how they get to $50 million in the next three or four years. They need to look at the market business differently. Mm -hmm. Now that that makes sense. So I find, uh, yeah, I also have an MBA and, and I love the kind of the case study way to learn. Could you give us uh, a couple, you know, sort of case studies? You don't have to mention the companies by name, but to just, and I'm sure you have, you know, dozens or hundreds, but are there a couple that come to mind that really, would be kind of representative of a, of a really good fit for a project for you all that you could add a lot of value? Yeah, there's some, here's, here's a, a good example. We had a, a client up in the Midwest and they were, um, they were in the plastic injection molding business. They made plastic injection molded parts that they sold to, to other companies and their, their, their growth had slowed. They'd been around for a long time. They're very, very good at what they did but they had slowed down. So they reached out to us because working with their Vistage share, they said, we think we need to get into thermoform plastic and the new technology of plastic or different to them at least, because that'll get us into some different marketplaces, but you know, that's a different type of a buyer. So help us figure out how we would do that. So okay. one of my, my CMOs, you know, come from industrial manufacturing background, sat with them. And the first thing is really understand, you know, what this company's great at and, and how would it be different? And in doing that, we actually recognized and went back to the CEO and said, you know, if we look at this, there is so much more growth available in your marketplace now. You don't have to build a new factory, bring in new technology. If we just, if we go to market differently, if we look at the market differently, instead of just sending your salespeople out to go, let's put together a strategic plan on which customers do we really think we can grow? You know, you've done great with John Deere, but you're in one division of John Deere and they've got eight divisions. You know, mm. let's put together a strategic plan to to approach the market differently and to explain your value proposition differently to these clients that you already have, because there's so much more growth available. You don't need to jump off into this risky new area. And, and over the next two years, we were able to help them. They, they grew significantly by just having a better understanding of how their customers bought, how the how what the customers really cared about and, and how to how to get in front of a customer one of the customers that might lead to another division in that company. So it was, mm -hmm. it was block and tackle, but it was just doing what they were doing. Wouldn't have gotten there. It took looking at the business from an outside perspective, the market-based perspective, the customer to really realize what was magic with that company. Hmm. I, I, I love that. Cause usually when you think about growth, people usually think about either, uh, you know, growing into other verticals or a geographic, but it's usually more of a horizontal growth instead of more of a vertical growth by just trying to get, you know, kind of deeper with what you have already. So I think that's, I think that's a great uh, example. And also a reminder that uh, some of your best opportunities could be right in front of you. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. How about another one? You know, we've got such a, a broad range of industries. We've got a number of clients that are facing these days. They've always sold through a traditional channel. Um, and maybe they've always sold through retail and retail has gotten upended. So now mm-hmm. they're having to develop their own, um, own lead generation, demand generation or, or own e-commerce site where they, they have to manage the conflict. We can't, can't really um, uh, get our, our, our customers mad at us, our retail customers, but we're going to have to go you know, and, and sell directly. We've got a number of, um, of chemical companies that started to realize that they actually needed to develop an e-commerce platform. They need to do lead gen, demand gen, because they used to send their fa- their salespeople into their customers' factories and talk to the engineer and, and, and get things purchased. Their customers are Fortune 100 companies. They can't mm-hmm. get into factory anymore. They don't allow people into their factories. Mm-hmm. They're now selling to a millennial buyer at a at a company where they're never going to get a face to face meeting with. They had to develop lead generation, demand generation to get leads to their salespeople. They had to develop mm-hmm. capability for those buyers to actually you know actually transact and buy. Now it's it's different than you know a consumer thing because they are specific chemicals, but but they they needed to be, to change how they were able to to put an offer out there, get a PO set up, and let someone purchase off the PO all with an ecom engine versus calling the salesperson because that that twenty eight year old buyer you know that's buying millions of dollars of chemicals a day doesn't like talking to people he likes right. clicking and ordering so mm-hmm. it can be you know it's it's often a significant change the company's facing um, but it, it's 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 often you know a lot more than people might think of marketing of a, a better website or 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 let's get more likes or clicks. It's strategically looking at what what's changed with the customer, what's changed with the market, changed with the competitor, and what element of your business do you need to to drive change in to make it happen? Hmm. Okay, that's that. That's another great example. Do you maybe have a third one where maybe think of the one where you just had you know, maybe one of the most, you know, significant kind of transformations, either they were, you know, in bankruptcy or, you know, about to go bankrupt or, or you just had just some, just a, a huge outcome. Does something come to mind that's just really stands out as just being a kind of a home run? You know, some of the, some of the most vital, some of the most enjoyable are when you can just really help change not, I won't say change the people in a company, but change the feeling in a company. We had a, a company that was, you know, second generation, and the second generation was taking over the business. And then the new CEO had great visions for the company, and they really wanted to move. But you know, the dad hadn't quite let go of it yet. There was an awful lot of people that weren't comfortable with, you know, why are we doing something new? We're really good at this. And and the CEO, the new CEO was frustrated. They were young and they were energetic and they wanted to go and they couldn't get the organization to go with them. Mm. Um, by being able to, to sit and have someone who's, who's who's helped lead change in an organization and lead crisis in an organization and be able to bring in this external view, we were able to, to, to take and help the company see why there was need to change. Change is, is uncomfortable. And if you're going to say, we're going to change the way we're going to be taking orders or the way we're going to this or what, you had to help the organization see why why staying here. We often talk about a here to there exercise. What Here we are today. What's good about here? Can we stay here? If not, why can't we stay here? And then where's the there? And then help the people get there and intellectually and emotionally say, yeah, it makes sense for us to go there. I'll help you get there. So sometimes it's as much um, taking that CEO's vision and, and helping add some, some structure to it, um, helping the, the organization come along with, along with them on that vision, and then bringing in the, the tools that will actually let them, you know, the, the hmm. marketing tools or things that, that will activate it in market. Okay. No, thank thank you for that. That really is helpful because I'm, I have an accounting background and I'm, I'm, Quite frankly, I'm much more familiar with the fractional CFO model. Yep. Yeah, I just understand that better. And I think even, I think most people even can kind of more easily get get their hands around that fractional controller, fractional CFO, because they know that, you know, the books have to be closed every month and 
you know, there's some, some stuff there. Uh, so, so thank you for that, that explanation. And, you know, some, a lot of people will, will look at that model, which actually we're, we're very much um, structurally were similar to those, those companies that started that, that industry. Um, but uh, some people also say, well, we're consultants. The, the big difference is, is consultants will come and ask a bunch of questions. They'll go look at the market. They'll start it. They'll come back, give you an answer. Yeah. Or a report or a presentation or, or, or a deck or, or something. We feel we we do best when we're a member of the CEO's team sitting in their staff meetings, talking to their CFO, talking to their marketing department, talking to their salespeople, going on ride-alongs as part of the organization because selling someone the world's greatest strategy deck doesn't create any value. Our, our clients don't have an extra vice president to hand it to and say, go do what they said. Right. So we, we need to be part of the organization to help um, help develop the strategy in a way that that organization can implement it. And then we're the ones responsible for implementing it. Mm-hmm. Hey, here's the plan. You know, if, if the CEO says, yes, yep, that's the plan. Let's go. It's like, okay, I'm the one who's responsible for getting this thing done, implementing it in market. You have to, sometimes you're, you're, you're flying the airplane while you're building it. Um, but there's a difference between being responsible for implementing the growth plan that you help develop versus selling someone a growth plan, telling them what they really ought to do. Mm-hmm. No, that, that makes a lot of, a lot of sense. What, um, so, so thanks for the, the background on, you know, some example successes. But now what I would like to, to kind of talk about is describe to me the characteristics of your ideal client, you know, revenue size, problems there may be having. Uh, how do you kind of think of what the characteristics are of a ideal client? I know you'd mentioned, you know, 10 to 300 million in revenue typically. Uh, but, but can we drill down just a little more? Yeah. Not surprisingly, the ideal client for us um, is the ideal client for Vistage something that I know you're, you're very familiar with. Sure. And, and one of the reasons we've had such a great long-term relationship with Vistage, and I've been in Christine's group, I've been in Vistage, you know, almost as long as I started the company. Um, it's, it's a CEO who's, who said, you know, I am passionate about building and growing. I don't want to just stay where I'm at. This isn't a hobby. This isn't a, you know, I'm not going to stay. I want to move. I want to improve. I want to hear new ideas. I think there's an opportunity to learn from other people and may, they may be other people, not in my industry. Cause I'll tell you, frankly, there's, there's no one else in my industry, my Vistage group, but right. we learn a lot of, from the people in the, the distribution businesses and the manufacturing businesses and the, the, the legal and the tech and all the other stuff. So the, a Vistage member or a CEO who said, I'm passionate about it. I'm, I want to do something. I don't want to sit and talk about stuff. I want to get stuff done. I'm going to figure out and I'm looking for new ways, new things, and I can learn from other people. There's, you know, if I bring in okay. the right person, they're going to bring another way to look at the business differently than I did. That's positive. Okay. Now that that's helpful. So to kind of contrast that with who's like not a good fit, it would be somebody who is not necessarily uh, trying to grow somebody who's, who really is resistant to change somebody who's, uh, you know, you, kind of fun. Yeah, go ahead. The worst clients are the smartest ones. <laughs> they're the ones that think they're the smartest ones. The ones yeah. that they're the smartest person in the room, you know, county, state, and, and, you know, industry. People that are the, the CEOs like, no, 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 no. I, I know what we needs to get done. We just get it done. I know what needs to get done. Just, just get it done. No, mm-hmm. no, no, no. That's, that's you know. And unfortunately, we do run across those people. I'm sure everyone listening to this knows someone that they've run across where it's just, you know, they couldn't accept that there are other ways to look at something. They couldn't accept there might be, they might be able to learn from someone else. And as a result, they just got frustrated with everyone around them. They've got a vision and no one else gets it. That's their fault. Not mm-hmm. that the CEO maybe didn't do as good a job communicating or, or could, could, you know, help bring his people along better. You know, they're not getting stuff done. It, it's that's the the client. You know, there there are no silver bullets. We've helped clients, you know, double and triple in size. But it's it's not like a you know, it's not like someone says, "Look, 
You don't need to do any of the insight work. You don't need to talk to customers. I already know the industry. I can tell you all about it. Just, you know, just give me leads. Mm -hmm. just, just, just increase sales. Right. Yeah. So as, uh, you know, in your role as, as founder and CEO, what does that entail? Do you still uh, have uh, client engagements yourself or is that something that your, uh, your colleagues are handling all of those and you're really more focused on leadership, strategy, recruitment? You know, from the beginning, when I, I saw this opportunity of um, this market opportunity of companies that, that could really, really use the, the skills of a, a real chief marketing officer who was part of their team when they needed it, as much as they needed, much or little, and it was easy to, 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 you know, say goodbye to when things, once things were done, match that with these chief marketing officers. You know, everyone in our company has been a vice president of marketing at one or more large operating companies, but they get the point in their career where they just don't want to go back in the corporate world. Mm -hmm. So I said, this is a hundred million idea. This is our, our big, hairy, audacious goal. Um, so I haven't worked a, a client engagement in probably, you know, 11, 12 years. Okay. I can't build a company if I'm, if I'm spending my day doing it all. Um, sure. At one point, I was the number one salesperson in the company. I mean, I outsold everyone else combined. Now, granted, there was only, you know, me and, you know, eight, 12 others at that time and 13. Right. I said, that doesn't scale to, scale to $100 million if, you know, if, if, if I'm the guy selling. When it started out, I was the guy, you know, doing the work because it was me and one other guy and we had, one client that we had two, but then even when we were getting a little bigger, you can't scale to a large organization if it's the art show, if everything relies on the CEO. Sure. And, and in each case, it was tough because, you know, our, our leads were really, really precious. We didn't have many clients. So if I got a lead and I handed it to someone else for them to sell, I was thinking to myself, oh, no, no, I know I can sell this. I know I can close it. I, I hope they don't mess it up. Oh, give it to them. Let them do it. They had to learn, but you know, fast forward years now, you know, they're way better salespeople than I am. I'm able to, I was able to develop a sales structure. All of the, the attempts to that weren't successful. There are obviously failures along the way, but but now, you know, with over over 200 active clients this month, I I'd have trouble naming three of them. Um, you know, I'm That's not involved great. in delivering the business. I haven't sold and negotiated a deal and. You know, in, in eight years, um, I'm focused on on the the strategy of where we go next. I'm very very focused on the the culture and and the training and and bringing people into the organization and, and moving them up and along. Um, and and what that's actually what's what's kind of nice is I don't even do our marketing. I have a chief marketing officer, and he has a marketing staff. So that's that's awesome. It, it's fun learning the job of the CEO. I've gone from the scrappy startup guy. Now we're in this, you know, transition phase where we're we're moving to, you know, we moved our accounting to BDO from one of the Texas Houston regionals to a big national CPA firm because we need to. We're mm -hmm. we're adding dashboards and management reporting systems and and other things that are, you know, kind of scary, but it's actually kind of cool. It sounds it sounds like it. Um, do. I would think that finding more CMOs to join the team might not be the easiest thing in the world. I'm guessing not just every VP of marketing is wanting to get out of the corporate arena. Is that a fair assumption or are they just out there everywhere and you just have to, to go, go uh, turn on the spigot and they pop out? There's, we're a great match for the right person. But and who's that? What's the, what are the characteristics of that right person? Th that right person, they've been the vice president marketing at two or more large operating companies, big, big companies, hopefully a couple of different industries. Um, but they've got to the point in their career where they said, you know, I've been very successful. I can do whatever I want, but I don't want to go back and sit in another meeting about a meeting about a plan. I don't want to do that again. Mm -hmm. I love what I do. You know, a lot of them financially are set. They don't need to work, most of them. Um, mm -hmm. but they're passionate about stuff that they don't get to do anymore because you're the, the vice president of marketing at AT&T. You made it, right? Well, you don't do any marketing. You manage a budget. You manage a department. You sit mm -hmm. in, you know, human resource meetings. 
the average tenure of a chief marketing officer in the U.S. is is 20 months, 20 to 30 months at the moment. Wow. So you've made it, but two years later, you have to move your family across the country and do it again. So for, for the right people who have moved beyond the tool pushers, they're beyond, they know a bunch of marketing stuff. They beyond managing a department. They really, really care about business. We look for that C-level business executive who approaches business from a market-based perspective. They can help an organization think about the business differently based on the market dynamics. You know, the CFO helps the company look at the business from a financial dynamics. The operations talks about, you know, whether if they're manufacturing, it's it's manufacturing and its flow and its process. Marketing is bringing that market-based perspective into the organization and helping and leading change. So last year we hired um, you know, was it 28 CMOs, 28 chief marketing officers last year in wow. 2021 when it was supposedly a really tight job market. Um, so we have, we've developed it. It's become a, you know, a core skill of us actively marketing to those CMOs. This year in 2022, I need to hire 50 to 60 new CMOs. To wow. Keep their growth. We grew at 50% last year. Um, you know, so, but they, but you can't do it by accident. We've got a solid marketing plan. We've got an approach to bring those CMOs to us because most of them have never been a consultant before, but they love what they do. They love the marketing. They mm -hmm. love the idea of helping these companies. But when they're working with us, they're on 100% commission. They get a percentage of the projects that they're on. So it's, yes, you used to have, you know, this 350K base salary plus a country club plus that, 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 that. Right. If you're working with us, it's it's 100% commission. Now, they will be on the management team at two or three companies at once that they absolutely love. Some of them make crazy big money. Some of them make less than they did before, and they love their lives. Mm -hmm. We've got a couple in their 40s. Most are in their 50s, 60s. We've got a couple of people in their 70s just killing it, loving it. Because their their customers, you know, love what they do. One of the guys was, I was talking to this week, you know, he's he's seventy four years old, and one of his clients is an AI digital in, uh, marketing company. Really, isn't this crazy? My client is a digital marketing company that's putting an AI engine behind how they market, and they they brought me in to help them figure out their strategy and go to market. You know, this is great. <laughs> that is. Uh... That, that, that is great. Well, that's, uh, yeah, that, that growth, I mean, in the 13 years, uh, it sounds like you've had, you know, substantial growth every year. Is that We've, we've done very well every year. Now, we've had some tough years, so we had some flat years. When I say it's a 13-year overnight success. <laughs> sure. Um, no, that's, that's, that's good. Do uh, and I'm guessing at this point your clients are all over the country, or you even have some yeah. outside the U.S. Well, I would think about six percent of our business is outside the U.S. Um, and it's it's sometimes it's it's international companies that want that American marketing style. Um, mm -hmm. It is marketing is something that the U.S. is really really good at, and and some of the the, the training learning organizations, the P and Gs and the Proctors, and that you know really have, have done a great job. So. There'll be an international company that wants one of our folks. Others, it's they. There's a company that wants to develop market in the U.S. They do really well in another continent. Now they'd like to get in the U.S. market. Okay. So, five years from now, how many CMOs do you have? That's that's the crazy part. We, um, you know, we've got a little over 100. I think 103 working head CMOs plus the management team of, of six or seven that are, they all were CMOs that have moved into the, the management team of us. Um, if, if we stay at a 35% growth rate a year, you know, we're going to need, you know, three to 400 working heads in, in a couple of years. Now, that, what's wow. scary about that is, I mean, it's, it's a little crazy leading a hundred chief marketing officers. They're, they've all got great ideas. They've all got vision. They've all got talent. They've all got passion. They're they're amazing. Oh sure, um, you know. But we need to start start building in more systems and structures to to help with that. To to allow them. Part of our magic is figuring out what each CMO really loves to do. Their industry background, the the part of the business, the part of business that they really love. 
they say if you find something that someone really loves, they're really great at, that often delivers the most value. So our job is to figure out what our people love to do and help them do more of that. Mm-hmm. Well, it was easy when there was six of us. <laughs> sure. Woolies, you know, it wasn't too hard when there was 20. You know, now that there's 100 and there will be two or three, we have to start putting in in, in systems, IT mm-hmm. systems. We're actually starting on developing an AI system that can look at our people and their skill sets and the, the projects they've been on and the blogs they've written and the, the things they've got published and the speeches they've done to figure out, you know, if you've got three or 400 people, who is the right person to put on this next project? based on that industry and that the problem they're facing and, and where they are. So, hmm. well, that's uh, that is interesting. And I know, you know, that growth has been recognized, right? Have you all been an Inc 5,000 company for a while? Yeah, I think, I think eight years and um, Forbes two years ago, um, rated us one of the, the 12 best small companies in America. They oh, had, wow. Um, you know, uh, Forbes does a um, small giants, um, you know, companies that, that, focus on being great versus big. Um, and we were one of the 12 that, that they featured. So that was really exciting. That is. Uh, any other uh, noteworthy uh, recognition from the outside? Well, you know, Houston, the Houston Fast 100, we've been on that a, a lot of years. Um, and then, you know, I, I think it's really just the fact that We've got so many people in the organization in our tribe who love what they're doing and have said, Art, I am doing the best work of my career. My pace of learning is faster than it's ever been in my career. I love what I'm doing. That's the recognition that that really matters. When your people love what they're doing, when they're learning, 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 and they're having fun. It's fun to help grow and build businesses. Yeah, of 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 course it is. That is where the uh the 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 fun and the excitement is so what is it what what are the one or two things that you most enjoy or find satisfying about your role at this point in the company's evolution you know it it's really nice to be able to step back and and think strategically about the about the company mm-hmm. um you know, we're thinking if 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 we're going to grow, and it's the scary thing about if we stay on this growth path, you know, we're going to be so big. So, part of what we looked at is, I said, you know, we always wanted to build a company that we wanted to belong to. We don't want to show up one day and we've got this big company and we hate it, right? And so, I, I was thinking about, you know, what is it that makes us really great now? And that's when I really kind of articulated the the thing about figure out what people are really enjoy what they love the most because that's probably where they have the most value and then help them do more of that. And that's, that's a lot of what's pushing through the company. Now, as we, as we look to the future, I, I went back to the good to great, the Jim Collins book and the hedgehog concept, right? And the, the hedgehog concept says, you know, what, what are you passionate about? What drives your economic engine and what could you be the world's best at? And, that world's best at is actually the hardest thing to come up with because it's easy to know what you're passionate about. It's pretty easy to know what drives your economic engine. And, and as we looked at it, we said, well, we're marketers, so we need to be the world's best at marketing. Well, that's not really believable because there'll always be some person out there that's better at positioning or, or messaging or some e-com guru. You know, we, we really can't do that. Well, we say we, we make big things happen for our clients. We drive growth. We want to be the world's best at growth. Well, that what does that mean? How do I how do I how do I put a plan together to be the world's better at growth? How do I how do I resource that? Well, the the other part of our mission statement, our mission statement says we make big things happen for our clients by attracting the world's greatest marketers because we help each other do the best work of our career, surrounded by people we love to learn from. Okay, and I said, learn from our people love to learn from each other. Mm. What if we were the world's best company, the world's best at learning from each other? Okay. Said, you know what? We're already better than any company ever did before. Peer reviews were one CMO says, I've got, a, I've got an issue with a client. I've got, I need some other eyes on this. And a dozen other people jump in and they're constantly doing um, you know, presentations on here's what's happening in, in e-com and here's what's happening over in healthcare. And said, if, if we actually resourced it and said, we will be the world's best at learning from each other. It's what our people are passionate about. It's why they're here. It holds them there. 
It also means our clients get even better and better work. If you allow one person to do the best work of their career, you get great business. If if you allow that one person to use a skill set of a dozen others to magnify their work, it's even better. So we 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 announced it and we went through a process and I'm adding a member to my my management team reporting to me a, a chief learning officer. And it's coming from within our tribe. Someone in the tribe, we had six people step up and say, Yes, I really, really, really want to do that because they're they're passionate about putting more, more process behind a lot of the things we've been doing and, and that so that we really can say we are the world's best at learning from each other. And, and we can attract better CMOs because they'd love to be in this group learning from these people and people stay with us because they love the environment of learning. Mm-hmm. Well, that's awesome. I really, uh, your, your enthusiasm and passion just, uh, just comes through in your voice and it's always fun to be around, uh, entrepreneurs that are learning, growing, and are really excited about what they're doing. Now, has it... If I was too much in the weeds of the business, I wouldn't be able to step out and and think about it that way. Mm -hmm. Um, But also, frankly, you know, three years ago, I wasn't thinking about that stuff. I was like, dang it, we're not going to make payroll, you know? Right. What happened to this? Oh, you know, so... There, there's times when you have to be totally in the business and figuring it out because no one's going to do it but the entrepreneur. And yeah, for sure. If you do things right, there's times when you really can sit back and go, you know what? Let me let me take a step back and think of this in, in a completely new way. No, I, yeah, I, I love it. What is, uh, and, you know, speaking of that everything was not just a, a perfect upward uh, graph uh, with a smooth line, um, could you uh, maybe think about maybe one of the, the biggest challenges you've had that you're comfortable talking about and uh, you maybe how you handled that and if there ended up being any kind of hidden opportunities that, that came from that seemingly negative challenge? I'd say the, the, the biggest challenge early on was sales. Okay. Because the idea was, well, I've got C-level business executives. Heck, I'd be in the vice president of sales and marketing over a 300-person sales force. I know how to sell. I've had the top-to-top calls with Walmart. Those guys are sharks, and I know how to sell. Um, it turns out selling consulting services to a $20 million drill pipe company is, is a whole different thing. And as I, I actually said, you know what? I, 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 if I'm going to make this happen, I need to go get trained. And I read a bunch of sales books and I signed up for Sandler and I said, you know, a year of Sandler training, half a day in the classroom every week on the phone with a coach twice a week. And I'm sitting with the other people in the Sandler training and one person selling, you know, health club memberships. And, you know, my last job was a corporate officer, publicly traded company with a 300 person sales force. Right. The sales coach said, so Art, you're saying you're a better salesperson than her. It's like, no, she's way better than I am. <laughs> so I, I had to learn to sell myself. Then I had to take these cheap marketing officers and help them learn to sell. And you know what? Marketers make really bad salespeople. We spent our whole career telling sales what to do. Uh, it's not about telling them features and functions. It's about asking the client about their business and their challenges and what are they trying to accomplish. And so the, the biggest biggest challenge growing the company was figuring out how to sell. And then, like I said earlier, I was the number one salesperson because I had done the sales training. I had taken the classes. I was more passionate about making this thing work than anybody else. And I had to help the organization learn to sell. And then Mm -hmm. even today, you know, our our new people coming in, go through, um, you know, weeks of sales training. It's it's online now. Um, We have two sales training webinars for the company every month done by two different sales consultants, um, partly because a, a chief marketing officer who m- learns more and more about sales makes them more effective marketer because they know sure. how to work with sales. They know how to, what sales is really trying to accomplish. So that selling thing was, was really, really hard. Um, the other thing was actually compensation. And a couple mm. of times in the company, I've had to change the comp plan. And boy, is that a nightmare. No matter what, you know, People, you have good people, they'll do what you pay them to do. So be very careful what you pay them for, because they'll do that. But there's times in our growth where it's like, okay, this is great, but we're 
you know, the, the margins aren't working. We're going to have to modify this. We're going to have, we need to provide, provide a more of an incentive for people to, to, to bring in leads and, and adjusting the compensation is a really difficult thing. I'd say the, the, the way, the reason we were able to accomplish it, one is we were working from a foundation of trust, you know, okay. the, the people in the organization, you know, had been part of us growing and, and they had seen the way that, that I and the leadership team made decisions and they were involved. And if, if you've, if you've got the foundation of a good organization and a good trust and people know that you really do care about them and you're, you're really trying to move the company forward because it's, it's good for all of us, not just for you in your pocket. They'll say, okay, this stinks, but I'm going to go with you. Um, Cause if, you know, if you change it this way, on average, it's not bad for anybody, but there's one person that's going to get stuck. And there's one person that's going to get a benefit. You know, that foundation of trust allowed me more freedom to, to explain why we needed to change the comp, why we needed better margins. You know, first, you know, eight years, nine years of the company, we had zero profit because we were pumping it all into, into growth. And then it got to the point, okay, now we're going to need to generate some profit because doing cash negative every other quarter is, isn't sustainable. Mm-hmm. So, you know, was able from that foundation of trust was, was able to do that. And then it, it also was, getting people involved and, and bought in on why and why it would be better for the company in the future. Um, mm-hmm. Those were some of the, Sorry, the harder things. Sorry, could you things. say that again? My apologies. <laughs> I couldn't hear what you said. Sorry. It's a phone. Is that Siri? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. No problem. It, uh, it happens. <laughs> so, uh, so it sounds like really in, in addition to being a learning organization, you guys also have to be a sales organization. Oh, absolutely. You know, our, our average clients last, you know, six to nine months. Um, we're on the management team over 200 companies this month. So in this next 12 months, I need to have 400 new companies to stay flat. Right. Well, if we're going to grow it at 40 or 30, 40, 50%, that means, you know, I need to generate 500 new deals in the next 12 months. Um, yeah, we need to, we need a sales organization. We need a lead gen engine. We, we spend a lot on, on marketing. Um, we bring in the most of the business and then help figure out which of our CMOs is the right one to put on the project based on their industry, based on their background. Now we provide a lot of incentive for them to bring in leads to bring in business too, but sure. you know, it's definitely not, not eat what you kill. We are the, the lead gen engine. We are, we've got, you spent years developing our relationships with Vistage and with private equity companies and other things. But then the actual sales process is also something that, you know, that we really focus on. No, that's, that, that all, that all makes sense. I, uh, so as we're kind of rounding the, the home stretch today, uh, just a few more questions. Uh, and this is a question that I've, I've stolen from Tim Ferriss because I love it. If you could go back, back in time and give advice to your 25 year old self, uh, what advice might you give? That's a good question. I've heard the question. I've never, you know, I think um, some of the best advice I got is is it early, early on. And it was actually my high school band director who was kids would show up and their, their uniforms were crumpled because they'd been in the trunk all last week since the last football game. And they said they couldn't do this, they couldn't do that. You know, there's a bunch of excuses. You simply say it's it's all where your priorities lie. You know, whatever you're going to get done or or is not going to get done, it's it's your choice of your priorities. Mm-hmm. And you need to you can let them happen willy nilly, or you can set your own own priorities. Um, now the priorities change. You know, I, I told my daughters as they grew up and graduated college, said so you always need to have a plan. What's the plan? Now the mm-hmm. plan change, and mine sure changed a lot a bunch of times. But you know, the understanding your priorities, having a plan, and then the benefit of resilience. Resilience is the most painful skill to ever develop. Yeah, and probably the most powerful. Yeah, you know, no. Cool. Yeah, because with resilience, down. yeah, with no resilience, you can you can't really accomplish anything, and uh, yeah. with a lot of the resilience you can accomplish a lot. Yep. 
So, um, do you, um, knowing what you know now, would you have struck out on your own sooner? Or do you think you really needed all of those experience, or did you need all of that experience to really fully prepare you uh, for becoming an entrepreneur? I, I really needed all of those experience, even the difficult ones. Yeah. The, the last company that I was a part of, we got sold in early 2008. And a year later, in the middle of the recession, I was still unemployed. And I've got one daughter going to college. I've got another daughter that's, you know, that's, that's looking at college. You know, my wife's an aide at the high school library. She's doing that because she loves library and kids and that. But, you know, I'm, I'm the sole breadwinner. And I've been unemployed for over a year in a raging recession. Mm. But some of the skills that I learned in get out there and network, I know you hate it, but you're going to get out and you're going to drink that, that cheap coffee and that expensive wine. No, it's the other way around. You're drinking <laughs> cheap wine at these networking events. That Without that, if I hadn't been forced to, I never would have done that stuff. If I hadn't been forced to, I never would have stuck through the first couple of years of this company. If I didn't have the learning that I got from Frito-Lay, Kellogg's, and Coke, I sure wouldn't have had the background. So it, it was a combination of of the the background of learning what I really love to do, which did change over time. And then, you know, the, the necessity is the mother of invention. You know, if I couldn't find a job, I was going to have to create one. Sure. Yeah, they. I've always heard that recessions, you know, create some, you know, they're really just a hotbed for innovation and new companies. And you look at the tech companies that came out of the dot-com bubble in 2000 and, you know, the companies that came out of, you know, Enron and the companies that were started in 2008, 2009, uh, that necessity really is a big motivator, isn't it? Absolutely. Yep. So two more questions. So this one's kind of a fun one. And so we are in Texas. So just give me like your your gut answer to this question. Okay. Don't overthink it. Barbecue or Tex-Mex? I really like Tex-Mex. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it, it's not the healthiest thing for me to eat these days because I'm, I'm trying to but watch it, but I really do enjoy Tex-Mex. Yeah. The great thing about Tex-Mex, you can, you can eat it three meals a day. You can start with breakfast tacos and uh, have some ceviche for lunch. And, uh, and then, you know, fajitas and margaritas at dinner. And, and I, and I can cook it. I'm not, I'm not as good as the great restaurants, but I've tried to do barbecue. I've, I've tried to have the smoker go for 12 hours, 18 hours. Right. I, I spent, two days on this thing and it didn't come out nearly as good as a barbecue place in the corner. No. Right. Oh, that, yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't really thought about that. Yeah. That alone should make it a, a, uh, uh, Tex-Mex should be the, the tiebreaker. So I've probably asked that question to 50 people. I stole that from one of our podcast clients, Chris Hanslet from the law firm of Boyer and Miller. That's one of his questions that I like so much. I, uh, I, uh, I borrowed it and I would say, most of his clients, Tex-Mex was the answer. And I'd say yeah. most of our guests, that's been the uh, the answer. I did have one guy say something interesting. He said, he said, here's the deal. If, if I know for sure it's going to be world-class in either food category, I'll take the barbecue. He said, but if I know that, that it's going to be just kind of average, give me the Tex-Mex because Tex-Mex has more tolerance for imperfection as you discovered in your house. Oh yeah. I mean, add a little more salsa. <laughs> exactly. Or even just some guacamole. That'll, uh, yeah. that'll do it. So uh, is there anything that I didn't ask you that I should have, or that you wish I had? You know, the, the I guess the only unusual thing about our company is we have been a hundred percent remote from the start. Okay. So, you know, I've got, I've got 120 people, including the support staff all over the country. They only see each other face to face once a year. And that happens to be next week at our, our national conference. They're in many times there, you would think they're competing because we'll have two or three of our CMOs interview with a client and then the client picks one of them. And yet we have the strongest, tightest, most collaborative culture I've ever been in. Um, it doesn't happen by accident. You have to put a plan together. You have to make it happen. 
but especially with so many people struggling with with remote how do you keep people together and do we lose our culture it no, you've been working on that for 13 years haven't you absolutely and um you know building that culture is something that you have to have a plan and you have to invest time and effort and money um but it, it really pays off it can even pay off when everyone's 100 remote okay and if someone's interested in uh in learning more uh you know about the company do you accept linkedin recommendations yeah absolutely Yes, and that's Art Saxby, S-A-X-B-Y, in Houston with Chief Outsiders. They should be able to find you there. We'll uh, we'll put a link uh, in the show notes for your LinkedIn. Um, any other ways that you'd want people to get a hold of you, or is LinkedIn a good way? LinkedIn the, is the best way. Um, you know, if okay. they're interested in, in, in marketing, I did write a book, The Growth Gears, um, that's on Amazon that's about – it's targeted towards CEOs, operationally focused CEOs who who want to understand what marketing could or should be to their company. It's not the crazy mm-hmm. creative marketing book. It's it's two business owners, um, and that that has a lot of my our philosophy on how we approach growth and marketing. Okay, well, super. Anything else uh, before we wrap up that you think we need to discuss? No, that's it. Well, well, Art, this has really been fun, and I really am uh, just really fascinated and impressed by your business and and what you've accomplished. And like I said, I know of you know several dozen fractional CFO organizations, but uh, I've never really uh, heard about anybody in this space. And I'm and I've known about it for a while, but I appreciate the chance to do kind of a, a deep dive. And I'll be uh, you know, following y'all's progress uh, to come. In fact, I just started following you on LinkedIn. All right. Fantastic. Awesome. Thank you very much. Hey, you're welcome. Have a great day, Art. You too. And there we have it. Another great episode on the Christine Spray Show. Don't forget to check out the show notes at christinespray.com. And you can find out more about how we can be a resource to you at strategiccatalystinc.com. All the best in your continued success until the next time we talk.